Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Taking the Fields, a 24-7 sports podcast. I'm your host, John Fields, and joining me tonight, as always, is Matthew Bruni for, uh, I guess, our last episode of this men's basketball season, man. A little bit of an emotional episode here, but how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, March Madison full swing here, according to Slate on Sunday night, uh, as the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament wrap up, um, and North Texas season obviously wraps up, so... Yeah, man, it's been a been a fun ride. Been a fun. I mean, when did the season start? Like March, mid March, right? Or I'm sorry, mid November. Jesus, late. <laughs> so, yeah, mid November. So it's been a good five months. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's been been a wild ride. UNT uh, obviously takes that early exit from the Conference USA tournament, but turns around, goes and wins a game at the NIT in its first bid ever. We're going to talk about that game, the win over Texas State, get into the loss to Virginia here, real. Uh, Real heartbreaker of a game, I guess, is what you could probably best describe it as. Just a real wild finish to that one. Um, And then, you know, might talk about the season in general a little bit there at the end and just all the history made once again, kind of reflect on that. But, uh, yeah, I guess let's start with that first NIT game. UNT gets Texas State uh, in the NIT opening round. North Texas comes in as a two seed. Texas State, I mean, I guess a de facto seven seed. They don't really seed, technically seed, like the, the teams that are less than the number fours, but... Uh, yeah, so North Texas gets Texas State there, and I mean Texas State gave them all they could handle, man. I'll be honest with you, I don't. I, North Texas kind of had no business winning that game for a large portion of it, but found a way to get it done in overtime, sixty-seven to sixty-three. Uh, actually, UNT was up 32-28 at halftime, but then Texas State took the lead late. Uh, they were up six with thirty-nine seconds to go, and then just ridiculousness happens where Tyler Perry hits three and is fouled, but misses the free throw. Then Thomas Bell gets a layup after I think uh, Texas State might have missed some free throws or a free yeah. throw. Uh, and then Texas State goes and misses one of two free throws. Perry gets fouled on another three-point try somehow, knocks in two or three free throws to send it to OT. And then, uh, yeah, UNT just finds a way to get it done in overtime. Uh, ends up hitting eight of ten free throws in overtime, which I thought was just kind of funny, honestly. A little bit of a, a reverse of what it's been all year since they've been like a bottom 50 free throw shooting team all season to go hit eight out of 10 in overtime to win. It was just kind of felt like they kind of got their comeuppance there a little bit for all the, all the struggles they've had there. But anyway, I've been rambling on, on this game for a little bit. I'll let you take over with your takeaways. Um, Yeah. Texas say this was a, this was a, a obviously a big game. I knew it was going to be a challenging game uh, between two low scoring or not low scoring, but low um, kind of slower teams. Obviously we'll get to Virginia in a second, but Texas state to its own, um, credit plays a pretty slow pace 336 in the country in that category uh they won the regular season title in the Sun Belt and then lose in the first round to Louisiana and uh I I, I knew this was going to be trouble for North Texas I didn't think it was going to be easy and Texas State like you said in my opinion outplayed North Texas North Texas offense was very very sluggish uh had no real life especially to come start the second half, I mean, when Texas State made its run in the first 10 minutes of the second half, it was 14 to 6 Texas State, basically completely erasing um, the early lead North Texas had built. So, I mean, we, we you look at the stats, Drez ends up having to do a lot 613 Ruben or 613 from three for Drez, rather. Ruben ends up going three of six from three. Um, and a lot of that's because Tyler Perry did very, very little. And in, in the first, what, 35 minutes of this game? He had like no points. I think he was over at that point. And then 
he ends yeah, up like over six or something like that. Yeah, over six, over seven, and he ends up coming up big late, as um, as you mentioned, into the free throw line, and then hitting a hitting a big three. So, uh, yeah, the, the not having Perry play well obviously always puts this team at a disadvantage, but it kind of felt like an extension of what we had seen in the conference tournament and UTEP games. So, you know, if they had lost this game, we look back on this or not look back on the season, but we do this podcast and we're like, damn, like you lose to UTEP, you lose to La Tech and you lose to Texas state. And the offense was atrocious in all three of those games. And instead they get very, very lucky and winning this game and now you know we we leave this game with a much better taste in our mouth than if they would have lost to texas state because i mean if i'm being honest you can't really lose to texas state no no offense texas state's not a bad team they're 137th in ken palm they're they're a fine team but we've seen this team beat uab we've seen this team beat la tech we've seen this team beat a bunch of really good teams this year and yeah. to lose to Texas State would have been a real big gut punch for them. So glad they got it done. Um, very ugly performance. Um, credit to Drez for bouncing back from his poor game in the conference tournament to 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 have this type of outing with 24 points. Um, but, you know, Perry does very little. Thomas, I didn't think, played great. Um, Abu, six points, didn't play great. So a lot of it was on Drez and Ruben, and they they, they delivered for the most part. Yeah, no, 100%. And the other thing I wanted to highlight, because I somehow forgot to mention this about the overtime, UNT had one made basket in the overtime. Like, Abu gets the one layup, and then everything else is at the free throw line. I didn't even know that. that. (laughs) Like, that's that's just the absurdity of how they went and won this game. It was just the most improbable way for a team that's been awful at free throws all year, goes and wins it basically only at the free throw line in overtime. Just absolute insanity that's obviously the weird part with college basketball too where the fouls uh like the bonus carries over to overtime so mm-hmm. that's kind of the weird aspect of that too that maybe you know obviously goes in north texas favor a little bit there but i agree with you man i mean 24 points from drez is obviously a huge night from him and i was honestly maybe more impressed with ruben and his 15 points because I, it's not often that it feels like he scores that much. Like he, yeah. it feels usual to get like, I don't know, six, eight points out of him, maybe 10. And he goes and gets 15 on a night like this, where, as you said, Tyler's struggling for most of the game. Thomas is fine, but not great. Ends up fouling out. Uh, Tyler ends up fouling out too late in the game when it was kind of overish, but still. Yeah. Um, Tyler Thomas was out for the entire overtime, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm I believe you're right. I remember tweeting something guards. about that where I was like, holy cow, they're going to miss him. Yeah, and they played four guards the entire overtime until Tyler fouled out. Um, yeah, so that that's another, you know, th- this team is just, it's tough. And regardless of them losing to La Tech in the conference tournament, I mean, we know what this team is, right? They're, the culture that they have, um, the shortcomings that we've talked about in the last podcast are still true to a degree. And they they did show themselves in this game, but they just find ways to win games. And again, this might be like the third most improbable win of their season. Like if you look oh, at man. it, like UAB, the La Tech ones, like La Tech, they were down 17 in the second half. UAB, they somehow pull that out on the road. Like, and then this one, this Texas State game, like they, they just, this is what they do. And so huge credit to them because uh, this was, this was a very fun game. Very fun game, and they had to win. When I tell you what else, you know, gets into that improbability a little bit. Uh, I mentioned how UNT goes eight of ten at the foul line in overtime. The rest of the game, they're two of eight from the free throw line, and then 
you know, to look even further into the shooting numbers, they go 11 of 29 from three-point range, which obviously was huge. They go 12 of 28 from the from inside the three-point arc. So they go almost the exact same percentage on twos as on threes, and they still have a chance to win this game somehow. Just It, it turned into the, the later portion of the year really just turned into North Texas just mucking up games as much as possible. Yeah. Like it, like all of the, you know, offensive flow that they had and in, in the early portion of the season and early conference play just kind of went out the window and it, it did turn into, we're just going to out tough you. We're just going to find a way to win this game at all costs. It's just like, those are like the guys you don't want to fight, right? Where they look like they have nothing <laughs> to lose. And it's just like, they're like breaking bottles over their heads and stuff. You're just like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to fight you. Well, that's what like North Texas is. They don't, they're not like a boxer. They're like these like crazy dudes that just start swinging at you. And you just like, they're not going to get knocked out. Even if they get punched, they just stay up. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of what they were. And that's what they did in this Texas state game. They're the crazy dude that just doesn't go down. Yeah, no, it was insane. Uh, I think that's pretty much all I had on the Texas State game. You got yeah, anything else? No. All right, well, let's move on to to the Virginia game tonight. A little bit more, uh, you know, different outcome, but another game that goes to overtime. That's, you know, UNT saves its two overtime games for the last two games of the year. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for those who didn't see, which I figure anybody who's listening to this podcast did, but UNT ends up losing that one, 71-69 in overtime. and. Uh, this one was kind of the opposite to me because this one almost felt like UNT should have won it in a lot of ways. I mean, they, they go ahead and like, obviously it's an, an improbable run to kind of get back in it late uh, in terms of they hold Virginia scoreless for like the last five and a half minutes of the, of regulation. But yeah. then, I mean, they tied the game with two minutes and 30 seconds to go and both sides get several shots, several chances, you know, free throws to, both sides get a bunch of chances to score points. Neither of them can buy a basket in that last like two minute stretch. Mm -hmm. And so it just ends up going to overtime at that point. And to me, it's tough, right? Because like you get the ball in Tyler Perry's hands, taking that last three in regulation. And I get it. You got the ball in your best player's hands doing what he does best. But like, to me, they had the time to go get a two, and it's a tie game. Like, all you need is to go to the basket, and, I mean, heck, you get fouled. All you got to do is knock down a free throw, right? I don't mm -hmm. know. Just the shot selection there, to me, wasn't quite what it needed to be. Well, they, they ran the play that they run whenever they're down three, basically. And that's what they did against UAB. And that's what, well, that's what they did against UAB to win the game. And that's what they did against La Tech. La, when, when Perry missed the shot, the initial shot from the corner, and then they oh, yeah, got and then three scrambled over the other side. Yeah. yeah. The initial shot was off that play, too. They run that same play where he gets uh, an off ball screen and then comes back and gets a dribble handoff if it's not there. And like you said, they had more, enough time to where it didn't feel like, how do I put this? It feels like if they could have, they could have just isolated him. They could have just given him a ball screen, but that whole action felt like it took a lot of time. And then he got the ball and there was like two seconds left. So he had to make a move and jack it up. So that it just yeah. felt more rushed to me. And that's my problem. I think mm. if the play worked, you know, and they got him on that corner flare screen, then that's fine. But they're going to, they've scouted you like they, or at least, you know, there were four days between games. I'm sure they've scouted you and seen your UAB games and a lot of tech games. So that type of play just kind of did surprise. It surprised me. They ran it again. That's, that's what I will say. So, um, yeah. Well, and the other thing to me, um, 
God, I just slipped my mind what I was going to say there. But like, I mean, yeah, I just like I get. Yeah, I think I think you have a good point there where it's like, you know, if the play works out the way it's supposed to, you get a chance to go win it. And, you know, it is what it is. I kind of like the idea of like, you know, you're at least you got it in your players hands. That's what Tyler Perry does best. He's not a go to the rim kind of guy. So you got the ball in your best players hands with a shot to go win it. I mean, fair enough. You live with the result there. Um, but to me, with all the momentum North Texas had going down the stretch there, I mean, you hold Virginia scoreless for five minutes. It's like, man, felt like you kind of let them off the hook. I think I tweeted as much when the game went to overtime where I was just like, man, going to overtime here feels like it favors Virginia to me. And then it, I mean, it turns yeah. out, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard or anything, but like, it turns out Virginia gets hot early in the overtime, hits those three threes with the uh, uh, what's his name Franklin hits all three of those threes on back to back to back possessions, and I mean UNT still ends up having a chance down the stretch. Um, obviously, gets another Perry three. This one's a tougher one, probably the best look they could have gotten that situation with the clock as low as it was, like four seconds inbounding yeah. full court. They got a decent look, bounces off the backboard, off the rim, and misses. But um, that's the thing to me is you you sort of give away a lot of that momentum you had by not at least going and trying to attack the basket and seeing if you can't have a better chance to get it over with then rather than giving Virginia sort of a second life in overtime to me. Yeah, I mean, you, you said that North Texas felt like you should have won the game, and I feel like it was a coin flip for me for a lot of it because North Texas felt – in control early and then when virginia made that run i was still like okay north texas is is fine like they're they're going to be able to stay in it and then virginia in the second half went on that run to to kind of make it an eight point game for a while um and they kind of kept north texas at a distance and then i was like okay north, virginia is a little taller um they obviously have really talented players i mean this is this is a top 80 team in the country this is a team that beat duke like this is an, an AAC team. We know what this program is, right? His, yeah. So this yeah, win, ACC, but yeah. ACC, I'm sorry. Um, we know if North Texas wins this game, it's one of the bigger wins of the McCaslin era. Like, obviously, excluding oh, yeah. the, the, the Purdue win and Western Kentucky wins. Like, this is huge. Um, and you still have players on this Virginia team that were just making some tough shots, right? They were making... Uh, some mid-range jumpers a lot. They made a lot of mid-range jumpers in this game, which really annoys me. I always get annoyed when mid-range <laughs> mid jumpers go in. Because I'm like, as a defense, you won that possession, and they just made the shot. And so, yeah, you um, still lost. Yeah. Yeah, so then you lose. Um, and we know Virginia's defense is always going to be on point. And so North Texas to score 55 in regulation, I think is actually pretty good. Um, but... I don't know. You're right. Once it got to overtime, once that first three went in, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm yeah. not sure about this. And then North Texas counter with a three, like you said, but like, I don't know. I don't know how much you can, you can do it. And then not having Ruben really hurts, which we haven't talked mm. about yet. Not having Ruben force Drez, force Tyler to both play 45 minutes, force JJ to play 41 minutes. And by the end of the game, they were just kind of worn down to a degree. Um, you want obviously them to be, you know, in this postseason game, they're going to have to play a lot of minutes because Beekman and Clark from Virginia both played 44, 45 minutes. But being realistic, I mean, that is not easy, especially when they haven't been 
they haven't been playing those type of minutes all season, really. If you think about it, that's the difference between this year's team and last year's team was last year's team, Javion Hamlet and and Reese and Drez played like 40, 40 plus minutes a game, right? They just didn't come off the yeah. court. Um, JJ would come in for these spot 10 minutes here and there, but like other than that, they just, they played the whole game. This year, there was a lot more balance. They would play like 33, 34, you know, 32 minutes. In conference play, they played like 30 minutes max. And you didn't have that rotation. So it was like, all right, Drez, 45 minutes, whole game. And then you had these defensive possessions where you had to guard the entire time. like, And then the offensive possessions where you just – and so it, it, I, I, I understand it uh, from that, from how it played out. So, um, yeah, I, I just rambled a lot to say that I think North Texas played really well, and I'm yeah. happy with their performance in this game. Well, and that, I guess that's the, the other side of the coin, too, there when I say they should have won this game. I mean, that means they played pretty damn well that, to be in a position like that where they maybe should have won this game. And, I mean, we can debate that, whatever. But I, I do want to touch on, because you mentioned Ruben being out for this one, got some insight from McCasland after the game. Uh, Ruben actually had a quad tendon injury, apparently, um, in the loss to uh, Louisiana Tech in the conference tournament is where he first picked it up. Uh, played through it against Texas State, but uh, – Apparently tweaked it again during Saturday's practice. Um, you know, obviously the day before today when we're recording this podcast, it'll probably be Monday by the time you guys are listening to it, obviously. But um, yeah, so Ruben tweaks that in practice. They still have him go through pregame warmups and everything, thinking he might, you know, feel better at that point, getting warm and everything. But just ended up being a game time decision and uh, ended up scratching him. So Tyler Perry makes his first start of the year. And to me, that was kind of the biggest thing because – like, I don't know that Tyler Perry's played 44 minutes and 48 seconds, like, at all this year. Maybe yeah. once or twice, but, like, the guys I, I that have played so. a lot of those minutes are, like, Drez or maybe Thomas Bell at most. Well, he definitely hasn't played 44 minutes and 48 seconds. I think that's safe. Because yeah. he, he's at least come off the bench and then missed the first four minutes of each half. All right, well, and they haven't had overtime games before yeah. these last two anyway, exactly. so... So he's probably missed. Yeah, he's probably missed the first. He's he's played probably a maximum of like what thirty five minutes this year, if I had to guess. Some if maybe I, yeah, thirty five, thirty six. Yeah, thirty six. Let's say. So yeah, like you said, it's a different. It's a different. You know, uh, setting there. Uh, I did think it was interesting though. It's crazy. That's the first lineup change since twenty eighteen, since the twenty eighteen nineteen season. Yeah, yeah, because they ran the whole same starting lineup nineteen twenty, the same starting lineup twenty twenty one. And then, I mean, this whole year until this last game, the same starting lineup throughout the year. That was one of the things when I saw Perry listed like in stat broadcast, I was like, man, this has to be a mistake, right? Like North yeah. Texas doesn't change starting lineups. Nope. But Crazy. yeah, I mean, that happens. Crazy. And I tell you what, one guy I do want to shout out because Matthew Stone ends up getting a few, you know, significant yeah. minutes in this game, man. Yeah. And he comes in and the first play he makes is getting an offensive board and putting it back home for a layup. Like, he didn't necessarily have a lot of impactful plays in this game, but the fact that you maybe couldn't tell he was on the floor at times was maybe the biggest endorsement of him being out there to me because that yeah. meant he wasn't standing out in a bad way. And really, yeah, he didn't play his way off the floor at all in this game, gave him good minutes, got the one put back, kind of gave some energy at right as he came in the game. So to me, that was promising to see some of those minutes from Matthew Stone, even in a loss like this you know, helping pick up a little bit of that slack with Ruben being out, even though, you know, he didn't end up playing a lot of minutes, but some of those early first half minutes from him were pretty big. I'm, I'm, I was debating making a joke. I guess I'll make it at this point. I mean, <laughs> he, 
he he outs he outscored JJ. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's true. JJ o for three from the field in 41 minutes. Um five assists though to one turnover. So shut up, JJ, uh, for playing his role. But yeah, that's just a insane eight percent usage percentage for JJ. That is that is nuts. That is interesting. interesting. Um yeah, yeah so one of the things that was interesting about this game was like JJ was playing point guard. Like, I don't know if you caught that, but JJ at one point was playing point guard and that's why he ends up having five assists on the game mm-hmm. because like they had him doing a bunch of ball screens with a boo had a couple of them mm-hmm. with him and Thomas. And I was like, Holy cow. Why are we like, why are we seeing this right now? And it, it sort of worked. Like JJ made yeah. a few passes here and there that ended up in good shots off of those ball screens. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'll live with it. It seems like they're getting decent looks from this, but I was—I mean, my first instinct was like, "Holy cow!" Yeah, Virginia was not prepared for that. Virginia <laughs> yeah. was not sure how. Like, do we go under this? Do we go like, how do we defend this? Like in re- reality, they just need to like go under and not even like worry about him shooting. But they didn't know exactly what to what to do. But um, still, I mean, to have to go into that wrinkle against Virginia against that type of team and still, in my opinion, play really really well says a lot about this team and so um yeah that's all i got on the the virginia game yeah i got one more thing i want to highlight because i thought this might have been one of the other key differences in the game was just the turnovers man like virginia just barely turned the ball over at all i think north texas had 11 and virginia had six on the game let me check that real quick yeah north texas had 11 turnovers virginia has six and I mean, Virginia ends up going uh, and scoring 17 points off those 11 turnovers. North Texas gets eight off of six. Like that, that's kind of one of the most key stats in the game to me. And I, I'm sure you remember this sequence too, but there was a sequence where Tyler Perry has three possessions in a row where he turns the ball over every single one of them. Yes, and I, was- I, it was just beyond me. Like I'm, I, I don't understand how after you make, you know, one turnover, whatever. Then you make a second turnover, and then I'm like, okay, well now you got to finally fix the error, right? And then another one happens. Like they all led to buckets. Confounded me. They all led to immediate buckets. That was the worst part. Is they weren't just dead ball turnovers. They were live ball turnovers where they got points on the other end, and that's where the Ruben thing comes into play because they Ruben Tyler's not used to having to be that primary ball handler the whole time because Ruben takes some of those duties. Yeah, and while Ruben. We I've lamented him about his lack of aggression at times. He at least gets them into their offense, right? He at least like starts the play. He at least starts the actions. And so everybody else knows how to play off of it. When Tyler has to do it for however long he had to do it for, eventually it's like, okay, now they're starting to sit on this. Now they're doing this. And so it's it's tough for him. And he's also like six, seven inches shorter than Ruben, which is a lot tougher to pass the ball out of. So um, that is another area you saw it. And, uh, I'm not, I don't know if they win this game, if they have Ruben, but it's definitely easier to see them winning it. Yeah. So, no, I, I agree. And that's the spot where you wonder, like, I mean, they end up getting plenty of scoring in this game, but you wonder if having that extra little scoring threat in Ruben somewhere out there, maybe doesn't help kind of push them over the top in regulation in this game or something like that. Yeah. And no, it's all speculation. Sure. I mean, we don't. It could have played out completely different if Ruben was in the game. They could have lost by twenty or won by ten. I mean, who knows? But yeah. Well, you want to wrap up this season? Yeah, I guess. I guess we kind of gotta gotta put a bow on it here at this point. <laughs> but um, 
I mean, I think I'll, I'll just read kind of the last couple lines I had in my recap before I had the final quote from McCaslin. Cause I think this kind of, this kind of sums it up here um, to me, which was just like, uh, you know, the loss ended possibly the most successful season in program history. North Texas won its most games ever 25 had the most conference wins ever 16 strung together longest win streak ever 15 games allowed the fewest points per game in conference USA history. 55.7 points per game to lead the nation in scoring defense. Like just all of these things that came together in a season like this. And I tell you what, I, I think I might have a question for you that I might answer first, but like, I think I'm going to ask it, is this the best North Texas team ever? Cause I think there's a legitimate argument to be had. And I know the Purdue win is like this huge win, but man, We've we we talked about this briefly. I don't remember what context context we talked about this in after the La Tech win, um, after the you know the the February twenty sixth win, the regular season title, win. Yeah, regular yeah. season title win. Um, and I, I don't remember the context exactly we talked about this in, but I think there's two separate discussions here, and I guess this might be bailing myself out. But there is the best team, and then there's the most successful team. This yeah. is the most successful team in North Texas history. This is the team that has achieved the most. This is a, 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 from a winning perspective, right? Um, you you go twenty five and seven, uh, twenty three and five in the regular season. You go sixteen and two. You even have a shot, like an outside shot, at uh, an at large bid, and that is something that you cannot say about North Texas ever before. And from that perspective, this is the best team. This is the most accomplished team. This is the um, most consistent team in North Texas history. Um, best team. I don't think it's the best team. I don't, I don't think that from a talent perspective, I don't think from an overall execution perspective and like a star perspective, I don't think this team is, I don't think this team is more talented than the last two, which might be kind of crazy. But again, we've talked about it before that 2020 team offensively was 34th in the country. That's absurd. Like Javion, Mo, Zach, Dang, Thomas, Reese, Rose way off the bench, DJ way off the bench. Um, last year's team had the run, right? Cause you in the regular season at 13 and nine, nine and five, Obviously, I'm not going to say that that team is better than than this year's team. But again, if you looked at it from a talent perspective, I think this is just me thinking. I think they're more talented than this year's team, and um, they oh, keep in mind they made that run without Ruben as well. So it's like that's they true. They had Ruben, um, but this year's team did something that neither one of those teams did, um, which is like you said, win 15 straight. Go sixteen and two, which is two whole more two more wins than the twenty twenty team had at fourteen and four. Like, there's something to be said about that, and so I, I do want to give this team plenty of credit and say that all those things that I said are true. Um, but I definitely think when you look at this team compared to those other two teams specifically, I can't say that they are more talented than those two teams. So I can't say they're the best teams team. I think they're the most consistent the um the the most successful um but i can't say they're the best i think that's fair and here's where i'll make my argument i guess then because to me as you said like the argument for these guys is the consistency and like man tournament games are so fickle 
Like yeah. they're, they're the weirdest thing in college basketball. And this is the best time of year to showcase it. Cause there's been all these teams losing to teams that in theory you shouldn't lose to like Kentucky losing to St. Peter's. We were talking about that one before we started recording and like, you know, just all these teams lose in March that you don't expect to lose to the teams that they do. And yet, you know, it happens. And so to me, it doesn't necessarily like excuse that loss to La Tech because not like, I mean, you know, you come in as the regular season champions, you're kind of the favorites in the tournament, although UAB had an argument there too. Like, yeah. you know, in theory, you should go win the thing. But like on the flip side, you've already beaten La Tech twice. Like how difficult is it to beat a team like that three times in a year, let alone in a tournament environment? And it still takes like a fluky putting up 36 points in a game, like the lowest scoring college basketball game of the year for it to happen. And then, you know, you barely lose to a Virginia team that, I mean, you could argue they maybe should have won the game like I have before. I don't know. To me, it's one of those things where with all that stuff adding up, I, I might weigh sort of the regular season consistency a little more heavily even than, say, going and winning that conference tournament and that kind of thing, even though that's like huge accomplishments. I want to look at it from from this perspective. So, like, we both know, like, how the NBA works, right? Yeah. So, for instance, there's there's regular season teams and there's postseason teams. And I, like you said, postseason can be fickle in college basketball, yes. But I, I look at this team like – and this might be a, too drastic of a comparison, but I look at them as like the Utah Jazz, right? Like they just run their system. They run it perfectly. They have really good players, and they're really, really good. They're going to win – you know, this year's an outlier a little bit They're whatever, third or fourth. But like, you know, in years past, they were winning the West consistently, winning 60 games, 60 games, 60 games. And then they lose in the second round of the playoffs because it's just a different, you know, that's where stars start coming out. That's where like, you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, all of them start playing. And that's what I look at with, with these two teams. When you get in the postseason or with the three teams, rather, when you get in the postseason and it's unfortunate, we never saw a 2020 team and play a postseason. So it's probably, it, it's unfair, I think, to, compare them in this way but i'm taking this 2020 and 2021 teams in a postseason like just straight up in a postseason do or die game i'm taking both of them with Javion, um 2020 team you have mo all these guys last year's team we saw what they did like they had a little bit of both you know from 2020 and 2022 in that respect and so that's how i look at it is like and there's nothing wrong with being a great regular season team. They've accomplished so, so much, but the the past two years, I just think I would take them in a single game if I had to pick one. Yeah. No, I think that's a reasonable argument. I, I, I won't push back too much on that. Cause I agree. I think those are teams where like, yeah, I mean, you look at, you've got the Mo Gibson and the Javion Hamlet on that first team. You still got Javion, James Reese and all those guys on that other team. Like, just guys that you can't necessarily say they have on this team, even though they've got some dudes, it's just not necessarily the same dudes. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a fair argument. I, I you know, yeah, can agree I, to disagree well, on that one. It's obviously, yeah, it's obviously open for debate and discussion amongst anybody who we'll have, you'll have a whole camp that takes the 2020 team. You'll have a camp that takes 2021. You'll have a ta- camp that takes this year's team. Who knows? Um, you sure we should, we should, Eventually, I don't know if it's probably way too soon, but like next week, we're on a poll of who the who the best team ever is. Um, that would be fun. But yeah, that that would make for some interesting debate there for sure. Um, but yeah, for for me, 
uh, looking at this season as a whole, I, I think we, we kind of touched on it when we, we talk, talked about this team being the most consistent ever, one of the best ever. Coming into the year, which we talked about, this team was not supposed to be this good. This team was not supposed to be playing yeah. at this level. And I think the biggest thing, and I've I've lamented JJ about, you know, I don't think it's tough for me to look at this team and be like, all right, you have a guy here that plays 40 minutes and scores with zero points, you know, like that's just a clear flaw to me. Um, But what have they done with that? They have built a top 20 defense in the country and they have put together the greatest regular season in North Texas history. Like you have Abu Usman first year starting last year as a freshman had spurts was okay, but first year starting ends up being a really, really, really good player. Yeah. You have Thomas Bell, who's played second or third, fourth fiddle the past two years, ends up getting thrown into the spotlight as the number one option. And while he's not perfect at all as a player, you know, 50% free throw shooter, can't really shoot threes, doesn't matter. He makes it work, right? It's not pretty sometimes. He makes it work. Um, Tyler Perry comes from junior college, straight from junior college, lights up uh, Conference USA. Drez and Ruben, we weren't sure if they could take steps forward. They did, you know, Drez last year was extremely inconsistent as a three point shooter this year in, in this ends the season as four at 40% three point shooting. Like you, you just have players continuously step up. Aaron Scott, true freshman fills roles. Um, and then like I talked about JJ Murray fills his role perfectly. You just have a team and this is not common that fills its roles perfectly. And I've covered, I'm, I'm here covering LSU right now. That and you, I've watched SEC basketball. We both watch Conference USA. We will both watch college basketball in general, where you see teams with ample talent, and it doesn't matter. They can't. They can't win. Or not to say they can't win, but they can't win at this level, right? Yeah, um, like the University of Texas. <laughs> yes, like the University <laughs> of Texas, where the roles aren't defined, where the players aren't playing to their role, where you have like Marcus Carr out here doing whatever he does and you know other players not stepping up around him so i i think from that perspective and that perspective alone is how i want to look at this team and remember this team as being a team that not just overachieved but a team that achieved to a historic level despite obvious deficiencies and that's like that's grant mccaslin that's entire this entire coaching staff that's this entire roster they need to be they need to be, and they deserve to be applauded for this because this season was an over overwhelming success. Like it is, we look back on this year now and we're like, this is, we're having a debate of this. Is this the best team of all time? Yeah. If, this is a team that was predicted coming sixth in the conference. And we looked at it and we're like, you know, that's kind of low, but like, I think fourth or fifth is fair. No, they came in first and they won 16 games and yeah, they didn't end the way they wanted to, but how many teams' seasons end the way it's they wanted to, right? You have St. Peter's right now that made a Sweet 16. They're happy, but Kentucky lost in the first round. Like You have these all these teams that are not happy with how the season ended. But North Texas, with this, you know, I, I use the word flawed in kind of a loving sense at this point because I think everybody understands it's a flawed roster. It's not perfect. It's not. Oh, yeah, and that's mid-major life. Yeah, and it's mid-major life. The graphic that the graphic that continued to go up when every time Stadium had the broadcast was North Texas four players that didn't have a scholarship out of high school, and it's charming, right? It's charming. Everyone's like, "Oh, feel good story." 
it's it's not perfect. Like you you're gonna end up with guys that have flaws, like or guys that just you know can't, aren't perfect basketball players, right? And that's why we continue to say UAB has Mississippi State transfers, has this guy, has this that guy. Louisiana Tech has stars. This team won the conference though, and that's what makes it so damn impressive for how yes. good this team is, how good this coach staff is. And man, I just thank you, Grant McCaslin. Thank you, Ross Hodge. Thank you, all the coaches. Thank you to this team because thank you, Thomas and JJ, for coming back as well. Not for nothing. Like they could have huge man, left. huge. And you know, thank you for making this a historic season where we're even like looking back at it like, wow, I can't believe that they had this much success. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I wanted to highlight, cause you mentioned Abu kind of stepping up and that was cause I was writing the preview today and I was looking through some of the stats and I looked through like when Abu scores in double figures, how North Texas does North Texas was 16 and two this year when Abu scored in double figures. I don't know if he went for double figures tonight, so that might make them 16 and three, but coming in Yeah. He went in double figures tonight. So 16 and three, but still, in games that he went in double figures, they lost two games before tonight. When he didn't score in double figures, nine and four. Still good, but that's, you know, two-thirds of your losses are games when Abu doesn't score double figures. Some of that can be a little fluky, a little flawed, whatever. To me, that still shows just, like, the huge impact this, like, sophomore big guy has that, like, was super inconsistent for you his first year and ends up being, like, this revelation for you at the center position. Yeah. No, 100%. And we also have to think about it. Not only was this team flawed coming into the year, who didn't play for them? Amir Wright. Yeah. Amir like Wright the, lead, the all-time leading shot blocker at Washington. Like, Amir Wright just I – don't, I, I don't know the story. I don't know if you know the story. I don't know if anybody knows the story. But, like, it looks like from an outsider's perspective, which is me, it just looked like it didn't fit. But it lo- also looked like, to me, and everything I saw, Amir Wright was still bought in. Didn't yeah. leave the team midseason. Didn't enter the transfer portal like at the end of the regular season. He every video I saw, he looked like he was bought in, which is insane. If I'm the leading, if I am a four year, three year starter at Washington, and I go to North Texas, and North Texas is a better basketball has been a better basketball team the past three years than Washington. Let's not get that twisted. But yeah. if I leave and go to any team, and I'm not playing at all, like zero minutes, I'm pissed. Me and I, I'm, I'm I'm bad teammate. Yes, sure, but like <laughs> that is speaks to what the culture is here. To lose Amir, to lose Jemiah Simmons, which at the time I, I didn't think it was a big deal, and still is it a huge deal? Probably not. But still, it's a it's a leader. It's a sixth year senior here that you're like you can trust. You lose yeah. him. I mean, I don't know how much deeper this has to go, and I mean. I don't know if they expected Rasheed Brown or Bryce Zafir or Matt Stone to come in and contribute immediately, but they had a seven-man rotation when Maya went down, and they did it. They had no depth beyond that, which, again, some that's youth, some that's whatever, and they won. And it's like, so not only did they overachieve, but things still didn't go perfectly when they did overachieve. And it's just, it's just insane. It's absolutely incredible what this team did. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I want to, I kind of want to harp on the Hamir thing a little more because I agree with you, man. It's pretty darn impressive the buy-in that stayed there. I, I mean, and I don't really know the full story there either, so I won't dive into it too much. I think it's probably more just like the issues on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe he wasn't fully able to just get into the scheme there. Which that was a concern I mean, 
that was going into the year. That was a real, real concern on the defensive yeah. end that he was going to be able to catch up in time. And after that, I have no clue, but that's all I know. So yeah, that, that would be my general idea as to why that's speculation on my part. So, you know, don't take it as complete truth to anybody who's listening here, but um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he stayed bought in and I mean, I've been at a lot of practices this year. Like he was a guy that, you know, still on that second unit was giving the first team guys some work here and there was, you know, giving them what they could handle going back and forth with a boo and helping him, you know, continue to get better in that kind of thing. Like that's the thing that's wild to me about college basketball too, that a lot of people don't see is like how key those like 10th and 11th guys on the bench can be in practices and that kind of thing. Like, even if the guys aren't playing in games, just having quality players in those spots that can give you a quality look in practice like that. I mean, you, you can't, you, it's so, you can't overrate how important that is to a team. And, you know, you mentioned those guys, Rashid Brown, Matt Stone, Bryce Zephyr, Hamir Wright. I mean, all of these guys that were, you know, given good looks in practice, they're a big part of why this team was able to do what it did too. You know, maybe not, you know, you don't see the on-court impact as much, but like, you're seeing the on-court impact with how well this team played because that's a product of who they're able to practice against too. I mean, if we just, we want to keep going, you know, in years past, they've had walk-ons play as well. DJ Draper to JJ Murray. And this isn't a shot to the walk-ons. I don't know who they are, but like, that's the point, you know, that's just, again, the things like in some years you have a walk-on pop up, right? In some years yeah. you have, you're uh, Amir Wright. Maybe you could play. Maybe some not Amir Wright exactly, but you know you so have like you had like Dingu a few years back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You have transfers that maybe work out better. Um, you have a, a more than one freshman that can come in and, and contribute. And this isn't to say these guys can't play, but like this just it didn't happen this year, and they still did it. Like they still had this type of year. It's absolutely incredible what what they did this year. Like I. <laughs> I can't fully wrap my my mind around it because when we when you watch them play, it's like not not even just in in the games that they lose, but in the games that they win. Sometimes you're like, like this this team is is the team that should, almost got in that large bid in the tournament. Yeah, yeah, they are. Like they're damn good at what they do. So yeah, and that's credit to to all the guys. Like I said, no, hundred percent. I think that's pretty much all I have at this point. I guess you're about done as well. Yeah, I've. I've I've taken enough time with my spiel, but <laughs> great year, fully enjoyed it. Um, we'll see. Obviously, roster turnover in college basketball is crazy as it is, but we know JJ's gone, Thomas is gone, Maya's gone, um, Amir's are, gone, Amir's gone. Those are the guys that have expended their uh, their uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's eligibility. It's, eligibility. It's twelve at night. I'm, oh <laughs> uh, yeah those are the guys we know are gone so there's at least four uh roster spots there. and then i guess drez's decision is up in the air as well whether he's going to take that extra covid year or yeah. not yeah drez will have his decision whether he comes back and just a portal who knows what he does but yeah so and there obviously will be poor every team in the country will have someone into the portal um you know it's just how it goes so we'll see how all that works out but what a great year from this team and uh yeah, thank you again. That's all I got to say. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I guess that's what I'll end on, too, is just some gratitude, man. Because, I, I mean, I, it's just wild to me that, I mean, I'm, I'm still a college student right now, but I've gotten to cover, you know, two of the best teams in North Texas' entire history in my two years getting to cover the men's basketball team.
Yeah. Like I've just been so damn lucky to have come in right at the right time and been able to, you know, last year cover this team for the campus paper this year, cover it for two, four, seven. Like I'm just, I've just been unbelievably lucky to get to cover such a special group of guys from the coaching staff to the players and everybody. So yeah, I'll, I'll echo what you said. Just, you know, thanks to everybody who's made this possible along the way. Cause man, it's been a hell of a ride and you never know how much longer it'll go. So, yeah. Um, it looked like the crowd was really good as well. It was. It was a pretty solid crowd considering it, you know, being like the Sunday of spring break and all that. Yeah. Uh, it looked it looked good. I mean, all the postseason games, it looked like North Texas showed up, fans showed up. So I was I was really happy. And even in the big, obviously, conference games as well, they they showed up. So it just again speaks to what this team, this program has built to where they are getting this type of turnout. I I remember the 2017 season where nobody would show up and now it's like <laughs> No, they're not filling the super bit because they, there's no reason they should have an, a, a venue that seats thirteen thousand or twelve. I don't even know, eleven thousand, however big it is. There's no reason they should have one a venue that big, and that's just kind of how it was back in when it was built. But still, to be putting in however many they put in seven thousand, six thousand, five thousand, I don't know, is still very, very impressive. So I want to credit the fans as well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, j- yeah. That, that, that's it. Just an incredible program an incredible time to be around covering this program. And yeah, just grateful for it all. Grateful to you guys too, everybody who tuned in. Thanks to all y'all for listening. Follow the podcast on SoundCloud. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter at MeanGreen247. Follow Matthew at MatthewBruni underscore. Follow me at JohnField0. And uh, yeah, we'll be ramping up football coverage here pretty soon. Spring practice and all of that. You know, maybe some more transfer portal stuff as the... Uh, as the semester progresses and that kind of thing. But yeah, we'll catch you guys in the next one.